For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Fragments of Silicon, welcome to the new nightmare, same as the old nightmare. Welcome to a new installment of Fragments of Silicon. Uh, uh, forgive us if we sound a bit sluggish this week. Um, we are recording this one day after the 2016 national elections, and it's been a rough uh, patch, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, uh, joining us as always, our Petty Fan. Yo. Galix. Hello. And Twilight. Hey. All right, um, let's get into it. Uh, Galax, you start us off this week. Um, well, leaving current events to the side. Um, oh, 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 God damn it. What? Is there a problem? Unmute. Unmute. What do you unmute? What do you mean? You're, You're not mute. You, we're, we're, not, we're not on. My thing is saying dialed in unmuted. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're not muted. I did hit the unmute button. This oh, time. okay, okay. That must be my screen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like that. That's where it shows me. Um, like. That's weird, but I yeah, definitely sorry. didn't make the same mistake again. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. We had one of those recently, so. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Uh. All is good. All is well. Current events aside, uh, we finally got the uh, all the painting for the window replacements and door replacements done, so we shouldn't have uh, work people around the house anymore, so that'll be nice. Um, apparently, Mega Man X3 is coming out on the 3DS eShop soon for new 3DS. That'll be cool. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to progress in... Uh, Hyrule Warriors Legends and having a hard time, but that's just because I'm not good at that kind of game, so. Uh, anything else? Uh, apparently the uh, new Mario Amiibos came out for, uh, like, the, for the Super Mario series, Wario, Waluigi, Diddy Kong, Donkey Kong, Boo, and a couple others. I'm trying to decide whether I want to get any of those, because I don't really... Most of them I already have as Smash characters, and most of the other ones I don't have games that will use them, so... But some of them look really neat, so... Thinking about that. Although, a lot of stores sold out of Waluigi, because, you know, Waluigi <laughs> is mimetic. <laughs> uh, and uh, hopefully I'll still have some time this week to play 
to uh, give a try to the crap. I forget the name of it. Um, I think I think you uh, you have yeah both. to give give a brief try to Dead Age and get a good amount done on uh, Tale of Two Nights or whatever. It's a Neo No Kami. The Neo No Kami, yeah. Yeah, Princess Knight. That one. It's a long title. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping to get some done yesterday and tonight, but uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. Anyway, anything else? I think that's all on my my end. Okay. Um, petty fan. Um, not a whole lot here going on of note. I've been trying to sort out an issue with my new headphones, and I think it might be fixed. Hopefully. Yeah, we will find out if it crashes during the stream, well, during the show. Uh, yeah, other than that, just been playing games for the show, been working on some Xenoverse, and whatnot and so forth. Oh, yeah, I need to start that, too, so my character can actually do stuff whenever we decide to do something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of games. Right? Mm-hmm. And Indeed. We have another one next week. Oh, jeez. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, we'll, um, if it goes through, we'll have a special Wednesday review there. Oh. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's for the same. We're doing the interview the same week, so. Mm. Plus, we're going to be off the week after, so. It, yeah. It's kind of the only time I could find. Right, right. Um, anyway, uh, anything else? For me, no. All right. Twilight, um, you're up. Hmm. Well, nothing's been going on personally with me, but apparently the part of Kentucky I live in has got wildfires going on. Ooh, that's not good. Stay safe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... Wildfires are always next- fun. <laughs> It's in the next county over, but the smoke's starting to get over to here, and that can mm-hmm. pose some health hazards for some people. Indeed. Uh, um, besides that, um, been playing Dead Age, and want to play um, the visual novel sometime this week. Yeah. Um, besides that, not much else. I guess it's my go. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, not, too, uh, not too much of change in the um, life other than I I solidified my Thanksgiving plans. Um, Hooray. It looks like it's all local this year. I'm like, um, you know, uh, I wanted to spend some time with some out-of-town relatives, but um, they're going out of town this year, so um, I am going to be here for the holidays, basically. Oh, well, maybe next year. Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, too, have been playing the games for the week. Like, I played a playthrough of Dead Age, and I'm, like, about uh, I'm not that far into Neo no Kami, mainly because you know, I, I was supposed to work on them today, but that just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. But, mm. you know, uh, 
And yeah, I think current events aside, that's uh, about it for the week. And so, merrily, we will uh, roll along to portion of our broadcast tonight. And I'm pleased to welcome um, from Obsidian Entertainment. Uh, you might know them as developers of such games as um, Knights of the Old Republic 2, Neverwinter Nights 2, South Park, The Stick of Truth, uh, Pillars of Eternity is, the, uh, is their latest release uh, in the CRPG field until uh, tomorrow. Um, as we welcome uh, Brian Haynes and Josh Sawyer, both of which uh, work on this game called Tyranny. Hello. Hi, guys. Actually, Brian's working on Tyranny. I'm working on something that is Pillars of Eternity related. Oh, well, it's, it, it, well in the PR notes I got, it says you... Uh, ah, I thought... Uh, okay, you are a game director for Pillars of Eternity. There we go. Yeah. And he's the design director for uh, the Obsidian Studio. So. Yeah, there we go, there we go. So, um, Right. So we usually start these things out by getting to know um, the people behind the game. And we'd like to start by asking you, what got you both interested in uh, video games in the first place? Uh, I mean, I've, I've played games my entire life. I mean, from the like, original NES entertainment system, uh, computer games and various different consoles. Um, I think I first started working on a game when I was... Uh, freshman in college and was big fan of a game I played online and would post on the message boards for the game. And finally I was uh, posted enough uh, smart-ass comments that the developer said, well, why don't you do it instead? So I joined the development team and got my first start uh, working on, uh, on an online title. And basically that was in 97 and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. And uh, this is Josh. Um, Apologize, apologies right away since I'm getting over a cold. Sorry if my voice sounds a little bad. But uh, I started playing Dungeons & Dragons when I was pretty young, but it actually started with seeing uh, a kid at a local library playing The Bard's Tale on a Commodore 64, which blew my fucking mind. Um, the graphics looked insane to me. I couldn't believe the synthesized music I was hearing, uh, and so it was just love at first sight. And I started getting into CRPGs, Played a ton of D&D growing up. Uh, I got into the Gold Box series of games very heavily. And then when I was in college, I really fell in love with Fallout. And I got an opportunity. I got in the industry in a sort of a weird way. Um, I taught myself web design in the mid-90s when not a ton of people actually knew HTML and very few people actually knew Flash animation. And I applied for a job at Black Isle Studios as a web developer and I got a job working on the Planescape Torment web team, and I was the main uh, developer for that site and ran the community forums and later went on to be the webmaster and the forum moderator for all of the Black Isle games. Um, but eventually, after about nine months of harassing Chris Avalone and Fergus and Chris Parker and a few other people, they let me be a junior designer on Icewind Dale. And since I had spent so much of my college uh, life playing second edition D&D &D in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, I just dove into it and I got really, really uh, caught up in it and I've been doing it uh, for about 17 years now. Hmm. And uh, how did you both end up at Obsidian? Uh, so this is Brian. This is actually my second time working at Obsidian. I, uh, 
first worked at Obsidian back in 2004-2005 on a, a project that was canceled called Dwarfs, which was uh, uh, still a game I would love to see made someday because it had a lot of a lot of charm and uh, uh, a lot of personalities to it. Um, so I actually first time I worked with Josh as well on that that project. Yep. Um, so I was there, and then after the game got canceled, I was I worked on stages of Alpha Protocol, maybe the first couple months of pre-production on it. Um, then chose to, to leave Obsidian, went to work a couple other places, and then when the economy tanked, <laughs> went through probably about six different companies in the space of five years as projects were, can were, were canceled and studios were closed. So um, after that, I uh, maybe about almost five years ago now, um, reapplied at Obsidian and started working on the South Park Stick of Truth game. And then after South Park uh, released, um, looking at obviously at that by that point the Pillars of Eternity Kickstarter had come out and done phenomenally well, um, uh, much better than what we could have ever possibly hoped for. And we were looking at, hey, we could do a uh, another game with that same style. So I uh, started as the game director on the project that eventually became Tyranny. And then uh, my this is Josh. My sort of course to Obsidian started at Black Isle. While I was at Black Isle, I was a junior designer on Icewind Dale 1. I was the lead designer on Icewind Dale 2. And then I worked on a couple of cancel projects, one of which was uh, our attempt at making Fallout 3, which was called Project Van Buren. Oh, wow. And I worked on that and took over after Chris Avalone left with the, uh, the guys who would later become the owners and founders of Obsidian. And after Black Isle collapsed, I went down to Midway San Diego and worked on some console games down there. Uh, that did not work out, and Darren Monahan kind of kept, uh, who's one of the owners of Obsidian, uh, and uh, he kept kind of hassling me like, hey, man, why don't you, uh, why don't you come back up to Orange County and uh, <laughs> work for us again? So I decided to give it a whirl. I came back up, and as Brian said, I worked a little bit uh, on dwarfs, and then I, uh, I took over the tail end of uh, development for Neverwinter Nights 2. I was the one of two lead designers on Neverwinter Nights 2. And after that, I worked on uh, a little teeny bit on Alpha Protocol, but my contributions were pretty small. And then Fallout New Vegas, and most recently, Pillars of Eternity. Mm -hmm. um, right, so uh, how did this uh, Tyranny project get started? So, it's, I mean, Tyranny has been, the basic idea for Tyranny has lived around the studio for a while. There's been various pitches that have had it, kind of had that same core idea of like being a world where evil has won. Um, it's various points. It like took the idea of like if you had a world like uh, Middle Earth from Lord of the Rings and Sauron won, what kind of story could you tell in that type of environment? And again, after uh, after the Pillars Kickstarter did so well, uh, it started looking like hey, there's actually there's a market for these types of games still. There's still a lot of demand for them. Um, we'd worked with. Uh, with Paradox Interactive as a distributor for, for Pillars of Eternity, and they were interested in, start, in making an RPG uh, basically from scratch, and we were interested in working more with them after the, the deal we signed for the distribution deal. So we started working with them about doing, actually publishing a game, and one of the ideas we talked to them about was uh, uh, basically the concept for Tyranny. We'd taken that, like, what if a, this is a setting where evil had won, and develop it further and came up with the idea of the, the overlord Kairos and the various uh, lieutenants, archons that, that surround that evil empire. And like, you know, we want to make a game where 
you, the player, are playing in on the side of evil, at least at the very beginning of the game, and then how do we tell interesting and compelling stories in that uh, that setting? So that's kind of how it came together. Hmm. And you mentioned this came out of the ashes of a uh, canceled project, correct? Um, how much was transferred over from the old project in terms of like idea or concepts or assets? I think it was mostly just a high concept. Um, uh, there were some elements that were carried ov- over time, like sort of lore things that have been developed internally, uh, some of which by Chris Avalone. Um, mm-hmm. But I think our initial concepts of it were, you know, more of like a, a third-person game, like mm-hmm. a close-in perspective and things like that. So really the style of game uh, changed pretty significantly between the first conception of it and what Brian sort of had the vision to, you know, execute on. Um, but really that core concept that, that Brian described, which is what if evil won in, uh, you know, kind of a traditional fantasy world, what would that look like? What sort of challenges would you have to face and what sort of character development opportunities would we have as writers uh, to give to players? Hmm. It, it is a nice change from the usual narrative. I, I will give it that. Mm-hmm. Like, because I'm like, I can't think of too many game series in general where you, you know, where you deal with not necessarily a villain protagonist, but you know, you, you are um, in the service of the villain. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I mean, there's uh, I mean, not necessarily RPGs, but there's things like um, uh, Dungeon Keeper and games like that where you play more from like the evil perspective. But or like stuff like Code Masters Overlord. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, yeah. Definitely yeah. being able to tell stories where we're focusing on the the evil perspective, like. One of the things that uh, we talked years ago when uh, I first worked with Obsidian, we were, there's always the idea of, like, what if we get to make another KOTOR game? What type of, like, KOTOR game would we want to make? And I was talking with uh, Darren Monahan, who's, again, one of the owners of Obsidian, and was saying, like, the game I would actually love to make is not one where you're choosing between light side and dark side. I want to make a game where you're playing as the Emperor, where you're playing as someone who is, enacting the evil plot and manipulating everyone around you to uh, to bring the Sith into power or whatever that story would be. And kind of funny enough, fast forward about 10 years, I'm working on a game where evil has won. It's not in the Star Wars IP anymore, but it's the same basic idea. Right. And though it, it's also, um, from what I gather here, it also seems to be rather nuanced in its view. Um, if there was a problem I had with um, KOTOR's morality system is it was quite binary. Mm-hmm. You know, that's Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, that's, that is the It's world. a pretty common thing with all yeah. morality systems. Though. Sure. Yeah. I will give... Yeah, it, I don't disagree. I will give credit to that binary system by actually adhering to the rules of Star Wars. Yeah. Because um, uh, I remember in the mechanics... Um, Doing evil stuff was um, faster, quicker, more rewarding um, up front, and doing good things was harder, and maybe not necessarily that much more rewarding. Like, so how have you implemented, um, I don't know, the morality system or whatever that uh, powers tyranny? I mean, the, the main idea is that it's not a question about good versus evil. Again, evil has won. There's no. This is not a story of redemption. You don't get to save the world from evil. You basically find a way to survive within the evil empire, whether by embracing that evil and working 
support or possibly trying to rebel against it and form your own power that can compete with the overlords, but necessarily isn't going to redeem the world. So we don't really try to impose that good versus evil choice. It's more about how do you gain power and build alliances with various factions in the world. And it's more about are you going to work to make people love you or hate you? Um, but there are different uh, – our reputation system, you can build both favor and wrath with different factions and with your companions. And based on how those different factions feel about you and how those companions feel about you, and actually – builds new powers for your character and you actually unlock new abilities you can use based on how they feel about you. Hmm. Then, and uh, how many factions are there? Uh, there's quite a few. There's a, a handful of uh, major factions. There's the, the six companion factions and then there are some uh, smaller uh, like NPC uh, factions for various villagers and settlers that are uh, available throughout the world. Hmm. And um, what do the major factions consist of, the, uh, the companion factions? So uh, we have our six companions that we've, we've announced so far. There's uh, um, Barrick, who's a, a large tank. Uh, he's a guy who's uh, caught in the magical spell. His armor was fused around him, so he can never, he can never take off his armor. He's basically trapped inside of it. Um, there's Verse, who's a... Uh, High dexterity fighter, like basically a, a killing machine. Um, we've got Lantry, who's an old scribe, who's doing his best to chronicle the events of the the Overlord's conquest, and has decided to follow you around and learn as much as he can. Um, we have a companion named Eb, who is a, a water mage. She's the last uh, surviving member of her school of magic, as the rest were all slaughtered in your conquest of the uh, the tears. Um, we have Kills in Shadow, who is a beast woman who is the other uh, intelligent race on this planet besides humans. Um, so she's uh, one of the companions who can join you. And then the last is Siren, who is the Archon of Song. And Archons are basically the lieutenants of the Overlord, people who have like very grand magical abilities that don't fit into the normal spellcasting uh, rules of this world. They're people who like spontaneously manifest magic, and no one's quite sure why or how they do so. Oh. And um, how did you uh, create the lore and all the characters for uh, Tyranny here? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it was a process of uh, over several years. I mean, the, the initial core idea of the game, again, came from work that uh, Chris Avalon had done between other pitches before the game uh, dealt with Tyranny. And he put together, like, a, like the general concept of the world um, who the, the Overlord was and what the, the Overlord's guiding, uh, guiding principles were. Um, several of the, uh, the major characters are um, either directly from his concepts or kind of evolved from concepts he put together. So basically that was kind of the core we started with very early in pre-production. And then as we started developing the game and working with the, uh, the designers and the writers, those kind of flushed out and developed um, as people were creating quests and looking at dialogues and how we could create interesting interactions between the companions. Like we wanted to make sure we had different personalities that would create some form of a conflict within the group where there was some interesting dialogues and stories that you could tell. And uh, how much of Chris Avalon's work is still in the game? Or 
So most of what uh, Chris does was, again, putting together that initial concept for, for Tyranny. So there's several characters, um, like one of the Archons named Graven Ash, um, Siren, who's one of the companions. Um, these are all characters that he'd uh, developed the concept for and named. Um, so a lot of that is, uh, is still like, what the uh, Tyranny is based off of. The actual like storylines, like I would say probably about the initial like Act One is still the same like broad story that he had uh, uh, was thinking of for the beginning of the game, and the rest has kind of evolved from there. Hmm. That makes sense, given uh, you know, as I understand it, he departed Obsidian a while ago. Uh, but anyway, uh, so. Uh, who is the main character? Is this a is this a character you generate, or is this a, like an actual character character? So it's a character you you generate. You get to create your own create your own character. You get to name them, see what they they look like, what their skills and abilities are. Um, but basically, that character you create has a defined role at the beginning of the game. That's what we call a fate binder. Basically, you are one of uh, so. Kairos has uh, his lieutenants, who are the Archons. Um, one of those is Tunan, who is the Archon of Justice. And you work directly for, for Tunan. You are basically one of the people who sent around to, uh, to judge and uh, solve disputes between the different armies and groups within Kairos' empire. So at the beginning of the game, you begin as one of these fate binders who has been sent to an area to help suppress a rebellion that has uh, broken out against the Overlord. And then the game takes off from that point. So you begin as someone on the side of evil in a position of authority in the evil army. And um, how robust is the character creation tool set? I, I mean, if you've uh, played Pillars of Eternity, it's very uh, comparable. You have like full appearance customization. You get to specify what your um, starting equipment and uh, skills and attributes are going to be. Um, but beyond that, when you once you finish creating your character, we actually have a mode at the beginning of the game where you play through the, the Overlord's Conquest of the Tears. It's like this uh, war map setup where you're moving around the map and actually choosing different conflicts and how you would resolve them. And that actually changes the starting state of the game. So based on choices you make during the Conquest, different areas in the game are going to have uh, different NPCs present, be controlled by different armies. They can even visually change their look uh, dramatically between one, one game and the next based on those choices you make. Hmm. And um, as I understand it, this game has classless leveling? Yes, that's correct. Um, we went with a, a skill-based so a skill based approach to character creation. So as you are creating your character, you choose different uh, types of skills that your character has learned, whether it's Weapons or magic or uh, different like unarmed fighting, and then so kind of akin to Skyrim's, uh, similar to yeah to like Bethesda Skyrim uh, game. So as uh, you're playing the game and using your skills, you gain experience in them. They they level up, and as those level up, you contribute towards the overall level of your character. I, I think I've seen that in other RPGs. In addition to Skyrim, you know, it's like the more you use something, the the better you are at it. Yeah, I think learn by doing systems have been around at least since Darklands in 1992. Yeah, I can go back further than that. Final Fantasy II uh, had it. Nice. Not very well, but um, 
Primordial forms are primordial forms. Yeah, I'm like... Yeah. One of my favorite pen and paper games to play, RuneQuest, is like a skill-based system. It's it's kind of like the, the first RPG system I ever really played. It was the kind of why it's very close to my heart. This type of game I love to play. Mm-hmm. And use some, um, like, action-based um, dis- um, designs the only way you level up, or they're, like, do you get experience points in this game? Uh, so as, basically the way it all works is it follows through your skills. So um, whenever you level up a skill, like if you had a one-handed weapon that was rank 20 and then you um, raise it to rank 21, you'd gain 21 experience points towards your character's level. So as you use your skills, you gain XP that contributes towards your character level. But you can do that both in combat and as you use skills in conversations, you gain XP towards them. Um, if you actually make dialogue choices that can cause enemies to flee from a conver- after a conversation, you gain experience as though you had fought them. And there are various uh, interactions you can do throughout the world that, as you use them, actually build experience uh, for your skills for your character as well. And then, of course, completing quests also builds XP towards the skills you use. So those all contribute towards your character's level overall. Right. So is there a... Op- a way to do a non-combat run through the game, or do you still have to fight at certain points? Uh, there, are de- there are definitely points where you do need to have uh, to engage in combat. We we try to have as many places as possible where you can uh, use dialogue or other options to make combat easier or bypass it, but uh, there's also places where it's just um, based on the moment you need to have a, a combat at that point. Right, and um, we haven't really touched upon it, but from what I understand, this game um, shares a lot in common with Pillars of Eternity. Um, uh, is it like using the same engine, uh, the same design as the previous game? Uh, what's What's been carried over from uh, Pillars? Uh, so, yeah, we use the, the same... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Eternity has the same foundation that we created for Pillars of Eternity, so... Uh, we used Unity as our rendering engine. We were we were able to upgrade to a uh, Unity 5, whereas Pillars was on Unity 4, so that has improved some of the uh, memory management and other aspects of the game from what when Pillars released. Um, a lot of the the same underlying systems are the same between the two games. Uh, one of the one of the nice things about working on Tyranny um, is that this is the one of the first times at Obsidian where we've been able to, after completing a game work on another game that uses the same engine, the same way of building the game as previously. So um, when Josh and his team were figuring out all of the, the problems, like how do we build areas, how do we build creatures and spells and items for Pillars of Eternity, when we started to work on Tyranny, all those questions were answered for us. We already knew how to do all of that. So and then we could dive right into working on what is this game and what is different about it from Pillars rather than having to like spend time on those initial questions and setup. So um, there's, even though some of the <clears throat> specific RPG mechanics have changed, the, the foundations will be very familiar to people who have played Pillars. And I suppose, you know, the flip side is, you know, like, uh, what has changed, what has been changed from Pillars? Well, I think that the biggest thing, other than, like, obviously it's its own unique IP, its own world, um, the, the classless uh, leveling RPG system, um, those are two of the, the biggest differentiators between us and Pillars. 
Um, there's also things like uh, we have a, a spell crafting system in the game. So rather than uh, learning spells like a and d style approach, you actually find magic uh, sigils throughout the world and combine them together to create your own spells, um, which you can give custom names and icons to so you can really uh, customize how the spell looks. Um, Is it like based on a series of specific paradigms, like like you get random or semi-random combinations of like area and direction and what kind of effect it has on a thing and stuff like that, or yeah, I mean, so generally you start off figuring out like the, the, the general school of magic, like is it a fire spell, a frost spell, or illusion magic, and then you pick a schedule that defines like what the sh- what shape the overall effect is going to take. Is it uh, a range attack? Is it a an area effect around your your caster, or is it going to be like a lion spell? And then from there you can add modifiers to um, tweak the parameters of the spell, making it um, cast at a greater distance or have a greater intensity. And then there are also some secondary effects you can apply. Like you can have uh, fire spells that can also do frost damage as well or spells that will blind targets when they are cast on them. So um, that kind of variety. I think something else that is uh, pretty cool about the focus of Tyranny, um, in Pillars of Eternity, we had a ton of creatures. And because we had such a huge menagerie of creatures, our animation time was split across a lot of different rigs and a lot of different critters. Um, and the animation style overall was relatively subdued because that's the style of the Infinity Engine games. Uh, on Tyranny, the animators had a much smaller, like most of the, the creatures you find in the world are humanoid, um, without spoiling other sort yeah. of beasties <laughs> that you find. But because humans were such a focus for the game, uh, and because you know they weren't necessarily doing things in the aesthetic style, of the Infinity Engine, uh, the animations got a lot more attention per animation, and they have a lot more sort of like flair and fantastic style to them. So, I mean, I think if people watch trailers, they can see that, but in-game, it, it certainly does feel... Um, there's a significant difference there between Pillars and Tyranny. Hmm. And uh, as far as uh, the question, Mickens, um, how long have you worked on Tyranny versus Pillars of Eternity? Uh, I've been on Tyranny almost three years at this point. Um, it was actually, so November, toward the end of November, three years ago is when we first met with Paradox about what the game that Tyranny would eventually become. Um, and then there was like, starting in, after South Park shipped, which was February of 2013. Oh, I don't remember. I <laughs> February of some year when, uh, when South Park shipped. I think it was 2014. Well, what was that? I think it was 2014. That's probably right. My, I haven't slept very much over the past week as the game gets closer to launch, so everything's <laughs> blurring together in my head. Um, yeah, basically, started that in February is when I was really on it full-time, and at that point it was a very small group of people, about five people total, working on early pre-production of the game as Pillars was wrapping up. And we, like, ramped up slowly. Mm-hmm. But it was really once um, Pillars actually released that the majority of the team transferred over to work on Tyranny, and uh, we really were able to start moving forward with development. In total, about three years, probably a year and a half, almost two years of actual production. Hmm. Pillars, was Pillars is in production, well, 
full production for about two years, but total development time was two and a half. So about the same. Hmm. Yeah, very similar. Right, and um, so how did you create the music this year? That was uh, Justin Bell, who's the audio director of Obsidian. He composed uh, the soundtrack for Tyranny the same way he did for Pillars of Eternity, and it's it's fantastic. I, I love, like, every time you come with a new track, I just have it playing in the background, and uh, it's been, uh, so that, that's basically all him. He, he put that all together. I think uh, one thing that's great about Justin Bell's approach to composition for these games is he's very sensitive to the needs of the individual title. It's not like he's trying to, I mean, everyone has their own style of, of how they compose, but Justin isn't just trying to do, like, the Justin Bell treatment. Like, yeah. for Pillars of Eternity, he wanted to do something that evoked, you know, the classic, you know, sir, Mikhail Honig um, style music from the Infinity Engine games, uh, and Jeremy Soule, of course, and also evoking things like Howard Shore. But in Tyranny, I think he went, he wanted to draw a stark contrast because the world of Tyranny is not the world of Pillars, and it really has a very different mood and flavor to it. So um, that's something I really appreciate about Justin, and I think the, the soundtrack of Tyranny is very cool, and it also is very distinct from that of Pillars. I think one of the things he did that was great is Justin um, that when he's doing composition is to try and play against the expected. Um, so obviously, since this is a world where evil won, like one of the, the risks we had in all aspects of the game is that we could go too too dark, too somber, too oppressive to the point where it would just be depressing to play the game for two for twenty thirty hours. Um, so one of the things he tried to do is like compose music that actually that that was true to that theme and felt very like martial and serious at points, but had these little moments of like. Uh, thrills and just moments of beauty in the overall score to help like change things up and lift you out of the, the overall mood so that it didn't get too too oppressive or too much the same throughout. So I think he did a fantastic job. And um, what sort of instrumentation did he go with? Uh, honestly, that, that'd be a question for him. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure exactly what all he used. I know that he did a lot um, we did a lot of uh, composing internally. We ended up grabbing, uh, having an orchestra um, actually record a lot of the music and several soloists inside the company and without also add some uh, additional elements to it. So I think also because of the martial themes that are pretty strongly represented in Tyranny, uh, there is a very heavy percussive element mm -hmm. that um, on, on Pillars, it was more about the sweeping orchestral music and on Tyranny, I think the the percussive uh, elements come across a lot more strongly. Hmm. Uh, and uh, how big is the soundtrack, and it, will it be available for download independent of the game? Uh, I don't know the, the exact size of the, the soundtrack. It is available, um, so it's available as part of a um, one of the pre-order packages for the game. Whether it will be available separately is going to be a question for Paradox. Hmm. I see. Um, anyway, shifting focus here, um, we haven't talked about um, Conquest mode yet. And uh, exactly what is this? Uh, so basically, <coughs> part of character creation, one of the, the things we were trying to, to do differently with, with Tyranny was um, have character creation not be about just creating your character and who you are in this world, but also setting up the beginning state of the world itself. 
and that's what the conquest mode does. So essentially, um, the game takes place in the, the last corner of the world that the overlord Kairos conquered. Uh, it's called the Tears. And the conquest mode is the three years of that conquest played out on kind of a war table setup where you are choosing what parts of this section of the world your, your Fate Finder character traveled to and what decisions you made over the course of those three years of the war and how they shaped the overall war effort. And based on those choices you make, the different NPCs and characters in the world will react very differently to you. You'll build reputation with them from these choices. You'll change um, what uh, armies and NPCs are present in areas and can visually change the look and feel of a lot of areas based on the choices you've made. One of the really great things, uh, which is a new feature that is in Tyranny, uh, by the way, that I want to steal for uh, future stuff, is they have a little highlighting system in dialogue to kind of remind you about certain lore tidbits. Mm -hmm. So when you go through the conquest, you might forget, like, hey, I, uh, I leveled this entire place and burned this place down. And so then later in the story, once you and you're seeing the consequences of that in action, you can be like, oh, wait, wait, what? And then you highlight the thing they're talking about, and it's like, hey, remember when you went to the conquest and you burned this place down? That's what he's talking about. Yep. Um, and so it's a very good way to sort of to refresh your, play, you, your player's memory of the, the, the actions that you, you took during the conquest phase. Hmm. Sometimes that reactivity can take place 20 hours after you oh, yeah. a choice. It, it is cool when it's very far flung. Like you... You see, you know, you see quite a bit of it early on, but then later it still keeps coming, even in the, the later phases of the game. Hmm. And um, so is the entire game uh, designed, or is it procedurally generated? No, it's all, uh, it's all designed. It's all crafted by our, our team of designers, artists, and, and, and writers. So everything is, all the storylines are all written. I think at this point we are closing in on a million words written for the game, um, and then all in game is designed by our level designers and created by our, our level artists. And um, how does combat work? Is it going, is it real-time, turn-based, mixture of the two? So it's uh, sort of like the classic, like Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale. It's real-time combat that you can pause at any point to issue commands to your party members. So if you're familiar with uh, those games, it'll be very similar uh, style of combat. Indeed, I I uh, played um, the new expansion uh, in spring. So, uh, yeah, uh, and is it uh, all that? I'm guessing it's not all the different from uh, the classic Infinity game. Uh, so yeah, we basically the, the in the same way that the uh, pillars uh, use as a foundation for for protecting their their combat. We we use pillars as a foundation for combat and tyranny. So. I mean, there are some differences, like we have more of a, abilities are based on cooldowns, and uh, we don't really have, excuse <coughs> me, uh, our party size, like we have uh, four characters in the party, um, rather than the, the classic Infinity Engine six-character party, so there are some differences, but the general overall controls and, uh, and feel of combat is very similar. And um, what can you tell us about the six core attributes? So uh, basically, the there's like six attributes. One of the things that uh, Josh designed for Pillars is the idea that 
each of the attributes is valuable for any playthrough for any character that you want to make in the game. Not having to, not having dump stats or things that you just don't care about based on the type of character you're making. So, um, Tyranny Group went with the same methodology where each of the, the six attributes provides things that are going to be beneficial for every different type of character. If you want to make a, a sword and bolt fighter, um, there's might, which increases your damage, which is useful. But there's also quickness, which can reduce the cooldown times of your abilities, allowing you to use them more frequently versus, uh, <coughs> versus vitality, which increases your health. So each of the attributes provides benefits that are valuable to pretty much every type of character class. And are those done in uh, skill tree style? Uh, so the attributes are increased as uh, basically each time you level up, you gain an attribute point, so that you can put into any one of the uh, the six attributes for the character. Um, but when you level up, you also gain what we call a talent point. And each character, from the companions to the, the player, has their own set of talent trees, which allow you to unlock um, passive and active abilities for your character to to use. Hmm. And um, let me see, um, uh, the spires. Um, what are the spires? So the spires are a version of the uh, the player's base. Um, it's a little like the uh, the pillar's stronghold system. So we've uh, basically, as you're adventuring through the game, there are these massive ancient structures that are called the spires. They're like giant towers that can be seen from uh, <coughs> from miles away that are actually used by most people as like compass points or reference points for navigation. And no one knows what the spires are used for. No one has been inside them or been at the top of one. No one's climbed the top of the spire. It's always just there's superstitions about them being unlucky and everyone tries to, to avoid them as much as possible. But as player character, through the actions you take in the game, you're able to actually gain control of these spires and then can build upgrades on top of uh, each of the spires that allow you to like convert to forge where you can upgrade weapons and build new weapons and armor for your for your yourself and your companions or convert to library where you can research lost magical knowledge or um, legends about various artifacts and, uh, and items that can be found throughout the world and have them be built for you. Right. And um, now, who exactly is the Overlord? Who is Kairos? Uh, so Kairos is kind of a mysterious figure in, in Tyranny. Most most people have never met or seen the Overlord. Generally, only the, the Archons, who are the Overlord's like lieutenants, have ever actually had a conversation with Kairos. So um, basically, most people, all they know is that uh, Kairos is Kairos is the uh, in charge of the Empire, and over the past several hundred years, Kairos has conquered everything, and now everyone bends knee to, to the Overlord. Hmm. Like I can see some interesting storyline potential there. Uh, definitely, if we're uh, definitely if Tyranny releases and is successful and we're able to do sequels, there's there's a lot we'd like to explore. Well, uh, I suppose on that note, um, are there ideas enough for maybe not a sequel, but at least an expansion pack? Uh, well, we definitely have like uh, four. The overall ideas for the world, we have far more than we could have put into a single game. So there's more than enough for, for expansions or for sequels, depending on how well it does. Right. And, well, we're getting low on time, so just a couple more questions here. Um, uh, 
the game is scheduled to come out uh, tomorrow, I believe. Correct. It releases um, ABM to, uh, Pacific tomorrow morning. And well, so what what has been your mood um, seeing this thing finally get released after so long? Uh, so it's kind of equal parts excitement and terror. <laughs> There's the excitement of seeing people finally start being able to play the game. Like over the past few days, we've had various people on on Twitch stream the game and and experiencing it for the first time. So it's been great watching their reactions and seeing how they how they respond to things that we've we've all seen over the past year and God, it's now like we're used to these things, but now people see it freshly for the first time has been fantastic. And then of course there's always the, the terror of releasing a game of like, Oh God, what if they find a bug we haven't found yet? And how do we do Like how are we going to fix it? And all those kinds of things. So combination of that. Yeah. The process of releasing a game, it's, um, you never really know how people are going to respond. Even if you've had beta tests, even if you seem to have favorable press or, or whatever, you, you never really know until it actually gets in people's hands um, because there are thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands <laughs> or millions of people that are playing that game for the first time. And uh, it's always sort of a, um, a balance between excitement that people finally get to see it and mm -hmm. just a basket of fear that... Um, something is going to go very wrong and that you missed something or that you were oblivious to something that everyone hates. Yeah. Because always, uh, within the first day of people playing the game, there'll be more time spent playing it than in the previous three hour, three years of the development team's time spent making it. Yep. Hmm. And, um, well, there's, finally, there's a couple of editions. Um, there's the Archeon edition, there's the Commander edition, and there's the Overlord edition. Um, what is the difference between these three packs? Uh, so the, uh, the Commander edition is the, the base edition for the game. Um, the, the Archon edition is like one step up. Um, I apologize, but I honestly cannot remember exactly what is included in each of the packs. Uh -huh. um, and then the, the Overlord edition is like the highest tier. That's the one that has like the... Uh, short story collection, guidebook, and soundtrack. But I apologize, I can't remember exactly which things are included in the Archon edition versus the Overlord edition. That's, uh, the information is available either on, on Steam or on Good Old Games or cross release on Origin and Mac App Store and available on Amazon as well. So uh, you can look I at the different editions on those. Yeah, this game is also coming to all three um, pla uh, computer platforms, correct? Oh, yes, PC, Mac, and Linux. Uh -huh. And um, are those releasing in tandem or one person? And oh, yeah, it's a simultaneous uh, release on all three, uh, all three platforms. Oh, neat. All right. Um, uh, I'll see if my uh, crew members here have any final questions about the game. I don't have anything. Everything that I was thinking of has been answered. Okay. Yeah, I think we got a pretty good grounding there. Same here. All right. Sorry, uh, I just had a coughing fit a minute ago, so my voice probably sounds weird. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, all right. Well, um, I think that'll about do it. Uh, I'd like to thank you both for taking time out of your schedule for joining us this week. Um, I'm looking forward to the release of the game. You know, it's like uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to get it because time is always a factor, and mm -hmm. I find I have precious little to do on longer games, unfortunately, but... Yeah, I mean that's honestly so that's one of my own experience as well with RPGs. One of the things we we try to do with Tyranny is to actually 
make it a shorter individual playthrough. So uh, the past playthrough of, of Tyranny is about 20, 25 hours. Um, if you want to do a completionist playthrough, it's closer to 35 hours of gameplay. And part of the idea was that, that was I, I have less time to play RPGs as well, so I want to make something people could like play in a couple of weekends and finish. Well, that, that's neat. Anyway, um, the game is Tyranny. It's available on um, pretty much all the digital distribution services. Um, is it on Humble Bundle? Uh, not at the moment, I don't believe. They're, they may be available in the future, but that would be um, Paradox uh, determining that. Gotcha. Anyway, um, the Commander Edition is $44.99. The Archeon Edition is uh, $59.99. And the Overlord Edition is $79.99. All right. Um, uh, once again, thank you, and um, hopefully we'll have you on the program whenever your next project is ready to be talked about. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Petty Fan, play us to the next segment. All right. So welcome to the topic of discussion. Uh, this week we are talking about Midway. Um, yeah, we are talking about uh, legendary arcade manufacturer. Well, there are a couple of uh, entities here. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, um, it's kind of a tangled history when you get into it. Um, Indeed. Okay, like um, the as is the case with a lot of things, but that are that old. Yeah. Right. So um, the creator of such things as Smash TV, Mortal Kombat. Um, Defender, Cruising USA, um, a whole host of gauntlets. I'm like, um, they're not all necessarily the same entity, but you probably know that their games uh, most from Midway. And, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, Midway is actually a couple of companies here. It, it was originally known as Williams. Like that, mm-hmm. that, that's like the actual video game portion. Yeah, um, some of the Mortal Kombat games would actually have the Midway or the Williams branding on them. Right. Um, and they got the Midway name from buying a pinball name. Um, yes. Yeah, back in the, they bought a, a company called Bally Midway. And they basically is it Bally or Bali? I was never quite sure about that because they're pin Bally. So it might be it is okay. Yeah, and it's like, and yeah, they ba- they basically kept the Bally name for the pinball stuff and Midway for the video game stuff. And there's also, um, if you, I if you recall our um, discussion on Tengen, there's also Atari Games. Mm-hmm. Um, because Atari Games was purchased by. Um, parent company WMS Industries in 1996. Well, it was technically Time Warner Interactive, but I think that's what they were going for. And you know, and that's the component that made like Paperboy, I think, um, like Clax, uh, um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's a lot of iconic um, games that this manufacturer made. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, their their biggest legacy is probably in the arcades, as 
they were probably the biggest of the uh, North American um, video, you know, um, uh, North American arcade manufacturers. Mm-hmm. It, and it wasn't just like original stuff like uh, Defender. Um, they were the publishers of uh, Namco stuff, if I recall correctly. Also, anybody remember a little game by the name of Miss Pac-Man? Right, and Miss <laughs> Pac-Man's an interesting story on its own. It, yeah, I it, believe we've covered that in the Pac-Man retrospective. Yes, yes, we did. Uh, you know, it was basically the, one of the world's first ROM hacks. You know, and the po- uh, point of order is, you know, they've created a lot. They 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 had created a lot in the arcade. I'm like, uh, other stuff is like Spy Hunter, um, Rampage, um, NFL Blitz. You know, uh, NBA Jam, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from Williams, you know, there was Defender, Jazz, Robotron, 2004, Gauntlet, and Rush. Um, and orig- like, and how they got into consoles was um, they didn't originally uh, have a have a uh, console uh, department like a, a home because what they called Midway Home Entertainment or Williams or. Um, they bought Trade West. Um, they're the company that was most well known for bringing out Battletoads and some of the Double Dragon games to the West. Like the crossovers with Battletoads. Yeah, uh, yeah, and they, I believe they published like the um, first Double Dragon game on the NES and the fourth one uh, on the Super NES. Like I said, there were a couple of installments that were actually published by Acclaim. And speaking of Acclaim, Acclaim was actually their um, console distributor for a good long while, which is why you see their name on like um, some of the early Mortal Kombat games. And this is kind of important because um, Acclaim actually grabbed the NBA Jam franchise from Midway. As I understand it, it was basically... Um, they basically like went to the NBA and got it because it, it, it was technically speaking their franchise. This yeah, is something they, that, in order to get games with their name on it, they they reserved the rights to decide who's making those games. Right, and this, this is something that it, I'm not sure if it affects all sports games, but some of them definitely. Um, this is why EA was able to put out a NBA Jam game. Um, in 2010, uh, like free and clear of, you know, spoiler alert, the midway bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. But you know, because the NBA owned it. But yeah, like if you were a child of the 80s and 90s, you would have experienced some of their games. Mm-hmm. And um, you know. And you know they they were well known for pushing the um, envelope in terms of content. You know, most mm-hmm. of be with, um, 
Mortal Kombat, but you also had more failed endeavors like, say, War God. Might be the only one who, who remembers that. I think I have that on a compilation disc somewhere. Probably. Um, that's another thing. Like, um, Midway, Williams, they were one of the first companies to really embrace emulation and emulation mm. packs. I will say, you know, this, this is kind of a thing that's not really a thing anymore, but I, you know, it, it was really big in the PlayStation 2 era, I'd say. And, and yeah. really yeah. going all the way back to, um, like, they released compilations on the um, Super NES and, like, Genesis. Yeah. But, yeah, they were the, one, the first ones to um, embrace um, emulation and, um, you know, putting out uh, what they called the uh, Midway Arcade Classics um, mm-hmm. or the Williams Arcade Classics or even the Atari Arcade Classics, you know, the some of the Atari game stuff. Now, uh, like I said, uh, you know, some of the collections were better than others, especially as technology moved onwards. Like, right. You know, um, anyway, so in the late, uh, in the late 90s, um, Midway made a transition from um, what they, you know, um, this kind of conglomeration of companies to an independent uh, console manufacturer. I mean, first it was spun off from its uh, parent company, um, and then uh, they got out of the pinball business, and then they got out of the um, arcade business in, like, 2000. You know, these were, um, these were segments that were not doing well by that point. Right. No. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think Midway, as a company, always like kind of struggled to find itself in the console market um, because you know it's like you know it, it wasn't helped. They were losing money on arcade side. Like I like for example, Mid, um, Atari Games was renamed Midway Games West. Um. Be, in order to avoid um, compute, like they finally changed the name to differentiate itself from Atari, Atari Corp, which at that point was a brand for Hasbro Interactive. But yeah, it's like, um, anyway, they kind of languished for the rest of the decade trying to figure out um, something. And there's, you know, um, there was a whole lot of drama involving. Um, National Amusement, um, Viacom owner uh, Sumner Redstone, and and eventually they went out of business. You know, I, I am kind of fast-forwarding through that, but I'm like, I don't want to kind of bog down the, this retrospective with, the, with these details. Yeah, that's more business stuff, not video game stuff. Yeah, I, you know, suffice it to say, the, the outcome was, I think, about 2008, 2009, um, they had to declare... Yeah, I think 2009 is when they shuttered. Yeah, 2009, they, they, they closed. I'm like, um, you know, uh, um, sold off some stuff, shut down some stuff. Most of their, uh, the Lions um, portion of their uh, back catalog was purchased by Warner Brothers. Oh. 
Um, well, and also, a fair bit, it was purchased by TH. Yeah, the THQ. Like um, one of our guests uh, mentioned, um, THQ San Diego, you know, or, or Midway San Diego was was once known. You know, but all right. So this is kind of the backstory of Midway. I kind of want to focus on, you know, like what games did you experience from them? Like, did, do you guys have any like treasured um, releases from Midway? Hmm. Oh, did you? So, <laughs> I was wondering. Um, I didn't play too many of Midway games, I don't think. Uh, but they certainly had a few that I remember finding really interesting when I uh, read reviews of them in uh, Nintendo Power and stuff. Although I guess Defender and Joust were always a classic. Yeah, I, I grew up on Mortal Kombat. I actually still have the PS1 version of Trilogy over in my little game shelf. Yeah, I, I'm like, yeah, like, as someone who grew up in like the 90s, um, both uh, Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam were two of my favorites. Yeah. Did Killer Instinct too, or part, that, partially? Uh. Kind of. They did publish the arcade version. Ah, okay. But I don't think they had any um, development input. Like, um, um, really, the one that's attributed is cru- the Cruising series. I'm like, and I'll admit, uh, like, the Cruising series is kind of a guilty pleasure. <laughs> it's not a tremendous racer at all, but it had its charm, at least in the arcade. Uh, the N64 version of Cruising USA. Uh, just flat out. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, I'm like, uh, you know, I was gonna say a lot of my influence from Namco stuff came from GameTap. Back when they had their free packs, they would cycle in a lot of Midway games. Right. Uh, but if I had to pick an arcade racer that I um, from the Midway Collective that I really that was my favorite was San Francisco Rush. Now. Um, like, I remember, I don't think I ever owned San Francisco Rush, but I definitely remember renting it. And San Francisco Rush is the kind of game you don't see anymore. You mean L.A. Rush? San Francisco Rush. Or, and its sequels. Like, um, you know, they they were really good arcade racers um, that also had an exploration and shortcuts. You know, really good stuff. Even on the uh, console, well, the N64, the PlayStation version of um, San Francisco Rush is terrible. I'm sensing a theme. (laughs) And speaking of that, we can't, speaking of things where the ports were terrible, uh, we can't end this review without mentioning uh, Revolution X, the rail shooter where your mission is to save the band Aerosmith while to with their music playing in the background by shooting CDs at things. I'll admit, I uh, I never played the console version, but I definitely uh, played the arcade version. Yeah, it's, the console versions were apparently terrible because I couldn't use all the music and stuff, but... I'm like, I do have... That's just one of those, wait, what, things that just has to be mentioned. Yeah, I'm like, 
As far as uh, mid-90s Midway arcade shooters, I'm more partial to Atari games Area 51. But, but Area 51 had way less heroes and therefore was way less 90s. <laughs> sort of, but it, it's still pretty 90s. Well, at least the first one is. You know, uh, They did a reboot on the PlayStation 2 from uh, what I remember. Oh, I remember that. I think one of our guests was from that. Anyway, yeah, I'm like from the PlayStation 2 era, like um, two of the most criminally underrated survival horror games from that period were the um, Suffering series. Uh, the Suffering. Oh, uh, yes, I played those. Yeah, the, the Suffering and the Suffering Ties That Bind. Like, mm. uh, I. I would recommend going out and getting those if you can. Like, I, They're good. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, like I said, it, it, it's some of the it's some of the finest um, survival horror action, if you will, on the console. And that's a pretty large uh, order considering, you know, how much Resident Evil and um, Silent Hill is on that thing. Ah, oh, jeez. I, I could go on all day rattling off the games that I enjoyed. Smash TV and... Oh, it. Although I'm um, more partial to its um, sadly obscure sequel, Total Carnage. Now, I, I had the... I, I think I still have the Midway Arcade Pack uh, Volume 2 for GameCube. And I played a lot of that in college. Now, uh and I like the um, play, uh, the um, part two package. Some of the lesser known games like um, Zybot was really good, um, so on and so forth. Um, uh, like I said I, I, I could go on. Like there was the um, uh, PlayStation Two remake of Spy Hunter and the original Spy Hunter that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, um, the Gauntlet series, uh, mm-hmm. Wizard of War, and like, they're the ones who made the, um, uh, fucking Tron games, um, the Tapper. Arcade. Yeah, t- Tapper and Root Beer Tapper, like, <laughs> uh, I'm like, Joust, um, The list, it doesn't end. <laughs> like I said, and this is kind of why I wanted to get to this part, because, you know, the history of them is pretty dry and not that interesting, but their games are. Because you're probably going to recognize some of these games. Yeah, especially if, you know, you're from the, you know, early 2000s, mid-90s-ish. Yeah, I'm like another, like um, Hydro Thunder or Arctic Thunder. Oh. I, you know, it's like, I don't think I ever found Hydro Thunder in the arcades, but I certainly found Arctic Thunder, and that was a really good uh, racer. I assume that's one of those is uh, snowmobiles, and the yes. other one is uh, jet skis? Um, hovercraft. Ah. Um, like I said, um, oh, before I go on, um, I, I really should stop. Yeah, we'd be here all night reminiscing on all of their games. Yeah, I, I'm like, they've got such a deep catalog. And, you know, one of the, sadly, you know, 
uh, ever since like Midway's demise and transformation is basically part of Warner Brothers, is you don't see a lot of their old games anymore. Yeah, like I think that really they just picked them clean for the Batman license back, if I remember. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Uh, oh yeah, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Batman was. That was actually. Yeah, I I got confused. Yeah, that was actually something taken back from IDOS, but that's another story. Um. Anyway. Yeah, um, I know they have some, like, they continued on some of their games, like, um, you probably don't remember the Touchmaster series, or the, um, Game Party series. Yeah, th- those were two things that were really popular, um, back in the, um, Wii and DS era, that were mm-hmm. popular enough to continue on with, um, more, um, publishing. But, uh, really, the, the, surviving legacy of Midway in the present is not just Mortal Kombat, but the studio that um, makes the game, NetherRealm, mm-hmm. is the old Midway sh- You know, um, Warner Brothers kept the studio intact, changed the name, and, you know, uh, not only did they successfully reboot um, Mortal Kombat, uh, hell, I think Mortal Kombat might be... Uh, um, one of the more successful fighters uh, going on right now, but also they did the Injustice series. Um, the right. DC fighting game? Yes. I mean, hell, the, the entire idea spawned from a not good version of Mortal Kombat called Mortal Kombat versus uh, uh, DC. They were basically trying to be Marvel versus Capcom, and they failed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, because... Um, yeah, the DC universe and the Mortal Kombat universe aren't really compatible just for ratings purposes. Mm-hmm. You know, you got an M-rated franchise here, and you got a T-rated franchise here. What do you think is going to yeah. happen? Teen-rated at best. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I'm not sorry to say, but a teen-rated Mortal Kombat is always going to be kind of lame. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't exactly have Batman using fatalities without some people raising questions. Yeah, I'm like, they also censored that game. Like, the, the Joker's fatality comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, but yeah. Like, anyway, so that's Midway. Um, uh, we hope you enjoyed our broadcast this week. Um, you know, I guess deviating a bit from the usual video game script. Usually we talk about this shit on... Um, uh, MSP, but MSP is on hiatus right now, but, you know, we mm-hmm. just had the results of the 2016 uh, presidential elections, and, you know, uh, I'm like, you know, it, going to Donald J. Trump, and, you know, you know, we are, we're pretty ardent liberals on this show, I'm not gonna lie, you know, it, it's like, it, it's got us down, it's had us down the past day, you know, we we kind of didn't want to touch upon it when our uh, guests were here, but I'm like, they're not, you know they've departed, um, so we can speak candidly about this, and you know usually I don't like politics on my show, but I do feel like we need to we need to voice our voices um, in the mm-hmm. here and now, especially since like MSB isn't here for our usual sounding board on this. And Mac hasn't said if he's going to do a, a post-election 
day special or anything like that. Yeah, I'm like, so this is kind of our best opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, and yeah, it it, it looks like it's going to be some dark times ahead. You know, not, not just because, you know, Donald Trump is president and Michael Pence is vice president, but, you know, the Republicans have um, the uh, House and the Senate, like, no telling when they when they manage to get, get control of the um, Supreme Court, you know, mm-hmm. like, but, you know, and there's been a lot of stress. There's been a lot of despondency around this um, right now. Like, and you know what? I, I can't say don't panic, especially if you're a marginalized group. Um, I think I tweeted about this this morning, but, you know, while I'm not, you know, like, I think everyone here, um, how do I put this? Um, uh, as far as I can put, uh, speak for Twilight, because I don't know, but I know Petty Fan and myself and I think even Galax here, we suffer from disabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so... You know, um, while we're not marginalized in the traditional sense of the word, like, uh, you know, we are white, straight males. I mean, uh, you know, we'll we'll be fine, so to speak, in a Trumpian world, you know. um, But I've certainly felt othering, believe it or not. You know, it's like... You know, my school life wasn't very good. It's not something I like to dwell upon, but, you know, I know what bullying feels like. I know what feeling different feels like. Mm-hmm. I, now, I will not say I will ever feel it or understand it to the extent of, you know, um, gay people or, um, you know, uh, African-Americans or Hispanics, you know, all the minorities of the country. But... You know what? We survived. We've survived a lot in this country. You know, we survived the Great Depression. We survived fascism. We survived the Civil War. We survived eight years of George W. Bush. I'm like, mm-hmm. we will survive Trump. And there are still mechanisms to. Yeah, I'm like resist negative change. Yeah, I'm like, and. We'll see what the next four years bear out, but I'm like, you know, you can't give up hope. Uh, I'm like, you know, yesterday I was in a bad place. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think we all were. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I I don't know. It's like, we all uh, gathered together because I don't think we wanted to be alone. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, also for those um, who might be listening to this who are of the opposite persuasion, because I have friends um, who are not necessarily Trump supporters, uh, like my friend Shane from Shane Plays. He's probably going to listen to this episode. Uh, because he's a big Obsidian fan. He's a big CRPG fan, and he's a conservative like, you know, I'm like, you know, um, 
you know, I understand the differences we come from, but uh, um, but you know, our viewpoint. You know, this is, you know, this is a viewpoint from a marginalized group here because, you know, I suffer from a neurological condition that is deep enough where I can't work. Petty fan here uh, suffers from a neurological, uh, a couple of neurological conditions that, uh, you know, he can't work. Yeah, well, I don't qualify for disability, but it's still... Very, it would be very difficult for me to hold down a job. Right. And I'm lucky I got a job at a uh, Center for Independent Living that hires a lot of people with various disabilities, so they're more understanding. But that's a nonprofit, and they can only afford so many people, so not everybody has that opportunity. Yeah, and I don't know. Twi- Twilight, I, I don't know if you have, like, Asperger's or... I got no disabilities, but... I know I feel not exactly in a good place. <laughs> We're all nervous about what might happen. Um, and, you know, um, we will not go into the quiet uh, light here. Like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, um, maybe this is what uh, Democrats needed. I don't know. It's like, I don't really want to talk about, you know, how it went down, but, you know, the road ahead, you know, it's like, you know, we, you know, I do think we will persevere in spite of the setback because um, I think Keith Olbermann spoke about it, but, um, you know, we have gone from, we have had these kind of backlashes before, you know, um, we went from civil rights to um, Nixon and the silent majority, you know, we went from, uh, you know, we went from uh, the carefree '90s of Bill Clinton to the post-9/11 sludge of George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it feels like the end of the world, but it's not the end of the world. No. I'm like, there's probably already the seeds of a new movement brewing right now because you know th- there are massive protests going on right now because, you know, Donald Trump, you know, in spite of everything, he only won because of the electoral college. Yeah. Like, there... I was going to say, there are still several outlets which he may not be president. Well, it's also... um, He lost the popular vote by a significant margin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like... Uh, and at any rate, I think if history taught us anything, is that movements are stronger when they have something to unify against. Right, and, uh, and that was on. That was definitely there was a lot of unification against Obama and Hillary, and now there right. will probably be a lot of unification against Trump because. It's like, and you know, we're not going anywhere. You know, we're going to continue doing this show. You know, we're going to continue doing MSP. I'm like, we'll, we'll probably be offering more more political stuff on MSP because, you know... I think last thing Mac mentioned um, will probably be back after Inauguration Day. Possibly. I don't... I I don't know if he's figured a return date back. Well, I think he said somewhere in, like, the second week of January, like, one of the last shows we did. 
Right. So, you know, we're going to continue doing our thing. And, you know, if you feel despondent about the situation, I'm like, you know, I would advise just not sitting there, um, diving into the negativity. Like, if you need to call somebody, um, call the National um, Assistant. Uh, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, like, or, um, eh, you know, talk to somebody, like... Or hell, just pull out, you know, your favorite movie and just escape for an hour. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I can't say it's going to be okay, but I'm like, you know, there are, or, you know, it's like another thing you can do is volunteer for organizations like the SPLC, uh, the Southern Poverty Law uh, American Civil Liberties Union, um, uh, you know, just a whole ton of organizations out there that I really... If you're in a position financially, you know, donate, like, Planned Parenthood or something like that. Right, you know, it's like, you know, they, you know, they have the halls of power for now, but, you know, much like, you know, when things were different eight years ago, you know, we can swing things back into our favor eventually. Yeah. No, especially since, well, you know, they, they've got Mr. Unstable over there. And you, whatever their agenda is, it may not go through. Because, remember, Trump is um, liquid when it comes to his positions for the most part. Yeah, there are several ways a Trump president could plan out, anyway, ranging from him giving it up to him basically flipping it to liberal. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I do apologize for this, you know, for this uh, political discourse on my video game show, but, you know, this just had a huge emotional impact on us, and we mm-hmm. needed to get it out somewhere. So, um, that'll about do it for this week's installment of Fragments of Silicon. Uh, um, we've got two reviews coming up this week uh, in Neo no Kami. Um, th- that's a visual novel. Uh, it's a Yuri visual novel. It, you know, it's centered around a lesbian relationship. So, you know, um, we don't have any problem with that. And um, if you do, I'll say it right now, don't buy this. Don't um, bother with this. You know, it's not have going you, to be... Have you played much of it yet? I'm not that far in because um, I had to play some Dead Age and then, you know, today, ha- you know, yesterday happened. I'm, yeah. You know, well, I guess it goes for any era, okay? If it's not what you're into, maybe don't get it. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah and um, it's it can be an 18-plus title. We'll address that in the review. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I the version on Steam natively is not because Steam. Yeah, I'm like, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in the review. Um, we've also got Dead Age. This is a zombie apocalypse um, uh, turn-based RPG. It's like, mm-hmm. um, like a, like, not to give too much away, but from what I played it, um, it like if you played a zombie uh, survival game, you uh, you sort of played this one, 
I'll get into yeah, the that. Mo- from looking at it, the most unique thing about it is the fact that the combat is turn-based, which is kind of an odd mix with the the urgency that survival games usually try to uh, impart to the player. Yeah, like I said, I'll, we'll get into that in the review as well. Um, as far as next week goes, um, it's a bit up in the air, actually. Um, so... That um, that is to say, um, we are supposed to have a developer um, from uh, that has been working in conjunction with Adult Swim Games. This is actually something we've been uh, I've been trying I've been doing through them, um, and they still need to get back to me on who's going to be on the uh, who's going to be interviewed um, about uh, this new game that I believe released today or yesterday. Like, um, but it's, uh, yeah, it was yesterday. It's called Small Radio's Big Television. Um, yeah. Um, looks like in a, I'm not exactly sure what this thing is, as is the case. I'm like, looks like an adventure game. I haven't got got my hands on a code yet. We might be reviewing this game next week, next Wednesday, after the um, regular broadcast, because after next week we're on Thanksgiving holiday and we have nothing until the week after. Because uh, we don't want to make you spend your Thanksgiving with us, and honestly, a lot of us have plans for Thanksgiving, so we might not have time for you or for the show. Yeah, and um, let's see. Anyway, um, well, the the thing there is um, we might, uh, they don't, they're running low on Steam codes. Um, That's something you don't hear often. um, So they offered up a PlayStation 4 code. Which would be great if we had one. Yeah, Mm. that's what I said. So, until next time, I wish you good gaming. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.